Let me say something that may not be great politics. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about the Spud Goodman Show. Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe! Here comes the Spud Man, it goes down easy, it calls to you who, the social outcast, yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, it goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready, Trumbo. And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, I am Spud Goodman, and if you were wondering if you've successfully stumbled upon the Spud Goodman Show, the answer is yes, so hang around for a while before making any rash judgments. You know, it, it tends to grow on you somewhat like a fungus. Yeah. People have mentioned that. With me is our temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. Wait, hey, Spud. Good to be here with you. I am yes, fully prepared it is for, for you. Well, it is, always. And, and I'm prepared for whatever you're going to need me for tonight. So I want you to rest assured I'll be there to step up should the need no, arise. Th- that be, is messed up, There'll y'all. be no stepping up on your well, part. No need for that. In fact, why don't arises. you take a step down right now? Also with me is our designated laugher, Gina. I hope all is well with you tonight, Gina. <laughs> Uh, I guess. I mean, things could be better. I'm really tired of having to clean up around our place with the little one with no help, if you know what I mean. I mean, it just wears on me. So the baby's probably a little young to be doing chores and helping out, huh? I get get that. Well, you know, if Cameron would just leave his model train set long enough to pick up the trail of clothes and plates strewn around the house, then I might have a few seconds to maybe read or or watch a few minutes of a movie. Uh, You know, maybe you just need to be more organized, Gina, and effective housewife just has to... Oh, whoa, Gerald. I am not a sister wife, okay? Please don't try to lay your prehistoric worldview on me, all right? Gerald, it is true you do seem to be a caveman. Maybe closer to those guys in the Taliban. I mean, face it, your wife is your only female fan. Uh, okay, okay, I, I'm just trying to help here with a few tips on managing the household. You know, my wife has a system that seems to be working pretty well around dude, our Dude, 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 you might want to change the subject about right now. Jeez, mm. or I'll do it for you. I, I, in my hands right now, I have a directive from our executive producer, oh, yeah? and I'm supposed to be following this on tonight's show. Of course, it's a bunch of garbage. I mean, do you two know what the word millennial 
millennials mean, I guess. Hmm. She's on this kick that we have to appeal to those people. What is a millennial? Is that a religion? <laughs> no, no. But I think it's a term used to describe those born between the years of 1980 through 1999. Well, why are those people so special? According to her, anybody born after this time frame is a waste of human flesh. Um, I think I saw something on CNN that they represent the future in terms of potential consumers. Right. So companies are killing themselves to try to attract them. Well, I, I know our store manager at South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum talks about them quite a bit at sales really? meetings. They may not be current customers of ours, but someday soon they will be, or at least we hope so. Again, we'll freeze again over. The, the store plug. Anyway, I oh. can't keep up with all these generations with their names. There's so many I get confused. Hey, let's just play some music. Here's a band that played this song live on our show at KTZZ in Seattle in 1994, the Mono Men from Bellingham, Washington. They don't play a lot these days, but have appeared in some festivals in South America in the recent past. So I guess they're still really big down there. Um, they're a great band. Uh, here's their tune, Testify. Hit, hit play, please. Goodman Radio Show. Hello, this is Forrest McNeil of Review, and you are listening to the Spud Goodman Show. Enjoy it. 
All right, it's about time for our first guest. I'll see if he's on the line, please. Uh, yeah, you you got it. Yes, and I'm being told Ian Anderson is holding for cool. you right now. Very cool. I've wanted to interview him for a long time. Uh, now you know I'm not real up on rock and roll, but isn't right. his real name Jethro Tull? His band is named no, after him, right? No, Jethro Tull is the name of the band, man. <laughs> Jeez, please don't embarrass me during this interview. Oh, I, I would never do that, Spud. If I think of anything to add, I will speak quietly so that Jethro will never hear me. His name is Ian Anderson, and he oh. and his band Jethro. Tall have only sold 60 million records so far. 60, 60 million 45s? That no, is... albums! Just put Ian on, for God's sake. <laughs> All right, here, here he is. Well, please welcome musician and composer Ian Anderson to the show. I hope all is well with you, Ian. Well, all is as well as can be expected for an ancient 67-year-old about to hit 68 and feeling a little stiff and sore in the back and the knee and the odd elbow and wrist and whatever. But, you know, it's uh, it's not going to keep me from running the marathon of doing a couple of hours on stage and trying to uh, regain at least part of the intensity and energy that I've had since my early 20s. So... All in all, I'm not doing too bad. Thank you for asking. All right, super. Well, all right, you and your band will be appearing in Detroit, Michigan on November 3rd, 2015 at the Fox Theater with Jethro Tull, the Rock Opera Tour. Tickets are now available online. All right, got that out of the way. Uh, let me let me start with this. For the uninformed listener, I will volunteer to do this for you as you have to be burned out on this question, so let me get this out of the way. Jethro Tull was actually an English agricultural inventor who revolutionized farming in Europe in the 18th century. Okay, that's out of the way, I, I, I feel better. I'm sure maybe you do. Uh, so let's let's do this thing now. Uh, the new the new stage show, uh, our rock opera. You made the decision to place Jethro Tull in the near future. That was an interesting choice. You know, that was an interesting choice. Besides the clothing, what was the major upside with going to the future with the character? Well, the, the, you know what you were just saying about the historical reality of the life of the original Jethro Tull was stuff that I kind of knew about a little in principle, but had consciously never really wanted to absorb in any detail. And it was last summer when I was driving through Europe, and I had an internet connection in my car, and I um, somebody else was driving, of course, and I um, amused myself by reading up about the original Jethro Tull, and because I hadn't really ever absorbed it all, and I was struck straight away by the similarity of some aspects of his life to songs that I have written over the years. And as a as an exercise to amuse myself on a boring journey, I made a list of all the songs that that his life kind of suggested to me that I, you know, that, that, that were relevant. And and I thought, wow, you know, this is a, this is a bit uncanny, a little spooky, because it's almost like I wrote some of those songs for his, uh, his life uh, story, but without ever really knowing what it was. So I then thought, well, maybe this is a, another way to find uh, my way past that dilemma of coming out so obviously with yet again another best of Jeff Protel <laughs> doing some of the classic Jethro Tull repertoire very much as they were originally recorded with maybe just the odd little change to lyrics here and there uh, but to set it in uh, not in the in the historical context but in the present day or near future to reimagine Jethro Tull as a contemporary agricultural inventor and technology biochemist uh, doing all the things that somebody is going to have to keep working on in order to feed an ever-growing and ever-hungry planet so it has a kind of relevance to today and I can indulge some of my um, 
whimsical um, um, and upbeat kind of humor by um, talking about climate change and population growth and uh, the issues of today in in a way that is you know kind of entertaining in in short but the only thing i really have to apologize for is that i couldn't think of a better way to describe this than the dreaded term the rock opera because that's a term that is owned plainly by pete townsend and since 1969 when tommy came out but i couldn't think of another way to describe it when you've got a bunch of songs and connect them with that operatic device the recitative in place of spoken introductions and so uh, i talk about it as jethro tal and then in hushed tones the rock opera which is kind of the embarrassing bit of the whole story but it's it's a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to starting you know spud Every time I hear citizens from the UK converse with people from the US, I get this feeling, you, you know, like they think we're all really stupid. Uh, Ian, hold that thought if you would. I'll be back in just a second. Um, Please save your insightful observations about the clash of our cultures for another time. He may think we're stupid because he knows this country pretty well after touring here for many years. Yeah, okay, maybe we're not the brightest country in the world these days. Blame it on the Kardashians or possibly Snapchat. Please just shut your pie hole until I'm done with this damn interview. No problem, but as an American, I do feel a sense that really smart countries look down their noses at us now and then. That hurts, you know? Listen, there are more stupid countries out there than America. Like, some of those in that sandy part of the world, the places where those ISIS dudes hang out. I mean, they still use AOL there, I think. Right, and I've heard they also are very intolerant. You think? Now, if I may return to my interview with Ian. Absolutely. All right, well, you know, your stage shows have always been quite physically demanding. I've seen a few. Uh, can I ask a safety question? Do, do you, did you ever mm. sustain any serious injuries swinging the flute around in concert? Because your manager must have told you you could have maybe put an eye out, God forbid, if you're not careful. Well, yeah, there's a, a, an ongoing scenario of little injuries, absolutely. You know, I've, I've, um, I've uh, broken a finger. I've uh, you know, done a lot of serious ankle damage serious knee damage too over the years just through impact and uh, and twisting and doing things and um, back injuries and um, yeah it's, it's a list of little injuries but think of me think of me like you would a you know a tournament tennis player you know I'm, I'm I've I've got a history of little accidents that probably add up to um, an inconvenience but they don't necessarily stop me from going out and doing what I'm doing I just have to be aware that you know I've got a few little literally uh, at the Achilles heel but it applies to many other joints and parts of the body too so uh, I, I have to be aware that there are some things that you know I've got to be a little careful of I've got to force myself sometimes to stop and think don't do that that's bad for your knees and um, but then you know that's what I tell all the girls yeah, really. And playing on one leg, I'm sure, I'm sure is uh, not not uh, probably not a wise idea with knee issues. But you know, you play through the pain. Obviously, you've never gone on injured reserve, and you suck it up and keep on performing. So that that's you know. And, and furthering a sports analogy, let me ask you this: as a resident of England, what's your take on the NFL and our brand of football trying to wedge its way into the sports consciousness of your country? Is this another example of U.S. imperialism or a welcome addition to the Brit sports scene? 
I, I, I think it's that universal thing about sport. You know, we're, we're always intrigued and interested in other competitive sports from from other countries. They may not be uh, they may not be totally successful in you know in in uh, overwhelming all else, but there's certainly been a, a strong and growing awareness of uh, American football, uh, just as there is a growing awareness overall of uh, of our European sport of soccer, as you call it. We just call it football, but you call it soccer to, 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 to yeah, differentiate between your football and uh, and the, the one when you're not allowed to pick up the ball and throw it at other people. Yeah. So I, I personally, I, I only follow a couple of sports as a, as a watcher. I mean, tennis and um, and Formula One Grand Prix racing, which is, as a motorsport, something that has never really cracked it in the USA. Well... In 2006, I got to hit you with this. You were awarded a doctorate in literature for your career work. Do, do the guys in the band ever refer to you as Dr. Anderson? Because I'd kill to have that title to put on my bio on the online dating scene at Match.com. It would score me major bonus points. Do you ever call yourself doctor? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, if you get awarded, you know, Queen's Awards or honorary, you know, um, doctorates from universities or something, I mean, it's very, very nice and... and Great to have that peer group approval that comes with it, but you know, just to be, um, you know, entitled to use the letters after your name, I think it would be a little bit uh, tacky to say it the least if I was to say, you know, because I've actually been awarded uh, doctorates in literature from two different universities. Oh. I'm, I'm a double D lit. Wow. <laughs> that does not refer to my breast size, ample though it is becoming in older age, but um, no, it's, um, I'm a double D lit. So Super. if I was to put my full title, which would be Ian Anderson, MBE, D lit, D lit, it would, <laughs> it would be a bit of a mouthful and it would waste an awful lot of ink and paper. So I know I don't. Oh, all right. Well, let me tell you, uh, I'm just very envious. I'll just let, let it go at that. All right, my last question, Ian. Uh, to the best of your knowledge, are you the only rock star in history that does not own a fancy exotic car? Because you don't even have a, a driver's license, correct? You know, you know you're a real challenge for interviewers like me because you don't fit the stereotype of a rock god. No, I, 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 I've never, never obtained a driving license because I'm not really, I don't really enjoy driving on the public highway. I mean, I have a little bit and with motorcycles too, but I'm not, I don't enjoy driving a straight line with everybody else. I, I kind of like going sideways a bit. So my, my driving skills are more, you know, kind of off-road stuff with with, um, um, with four-wheel and two-wheel vehicles, and, and that's what I've always rather preferred. And you're not really allowed to do that on the public highways. <laughs> I confine my activities to going sideways um, off-road and usually on my own land because then uh, I don't upset anybody else. You know, I don't want to get all Freudian here, but just thinking about this, your rejection of uh, of the, you know, the cliche, uh, really, you know, the Ferrari or whatever, uh, it just, I guess, does that mean that uh, you're like well-adjusted and maybe just possibly well-endowed also because you don't need any sort of external symbols to kind of compensate? You know what I'm saying? I think I know what you're saying, and I have to report to you, I am Mr. Average. I know this because I got out a, a ruler just a couple of weeks ago because of some article in the paper about the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the male attributes in terms of, of size and dimension generally. And I, I remember when I was a teenager, I remember sort of being fascinated enough to measure myself and thinking, oh, I'm not sure is that good or is that bad or am I, you know, 
But uh, amazingly, the, it is exactly the same measurement as I sport today. And, and there are some bits of you that get bigger. You know, as we all know, as you get older, your ears tend to get bigger, your feet get bigger, the, the hairs that are coming out of your nostrils and your ears get longer. I know. And so, um, but other things kind of shrivel away. And I'm happy to report that I do not walk around with inside my codpiece and tights wearing a little acorn. It's just the same old chap that used to be there, um, you know, from teenage years onwards. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm relieved that some things in life just stay the same. Well, I'm bummed, but you could be right. Uh, for the record, everyone knows I'm still in search of a of a Corvette, and I, hopefully that will, you know, maybe fill my, you know, you know. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest. I, I have some deficiencies, and and uh, I can't afford a Corvette right now. But that's my goal someday. So anyway, all right, let's let's wrap this thing because I know you got stuff to do. Um, let me once again, you're going to be appearing in Detroit, Michigan, on November 3rd, 2015, at the Fox Theater with Jethro Tull, the Rock Opera. I want to thank you so much, Ian, for taking the time to check in with us yeah and and now you've given me a whole new idea which is i shall refer to my little chap when we accompany each other to the gentleman's lavatory i shall refer to him now as my little corvette wow super all right mr <laughs> ian anderson great to talk to you genuine musical treat, tune in to the Spud Goodman Show, radio's famous program that takes you on a magic carpet of melody to a world of beauty. All right, it's musical guest interview time. Please welcome Nolan Garrett and his band to the show. Gentlemen, please give your name and the instrument uh, that you're playing tonight. My name is Nolan Garrett, and I play guitar and sing. My name's Riley Howe. I'm playing bass. My name's Alex Nelson, and I play the drums. All right, super. Uh, let me start with this, Nolan, for those who are not familiar with you in other areas of the country. Now, you've opened up for, like, Chris Isaac and other touring artists, but during the day, you have to turn in homework for the time being, right? Because you're still in high school. Hey, let me just wait a sec. Hey, th you're a freaking millennial, correct? I think, oh. I, th I think that is correct. Yeah. All right, super. That's right. All right. Um, so, guys, Good I mean, call, yo. this is off the record. Does everyone in the band have fake ID when you guys play clubs? Uh, we have one collective fake ID. Okay, it's super. All, of our pictures on it. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so, Nolan, what age did you first pick up a guitar, and uh, were the parents pretty cool when you'd be jamming at like three in the morning? Yeah, no, I started playing guitar when I was eight. Um, mm -hmm. It was actually my mom's idea. Uh, she didn't it's good realize call, she, well, she didn't realize how loud it was gonna be. But um, <laughs> you don't have a Marshall stack in your room. You don't plug in like three, do you? No, no. But I'm I'm known. I'm probably known in my neighborhood for playing music are. notoriously loud. I bet you are. But All I mean, right. that's you know. Um, so like, you have a new album out now. It's your second, titled Brick Lanes. It's available on iTunes and at NolanGarrett.net. Uh, correct. Yep, that is All correct. Right, super. So is the tune you're gonna do? Is that off the new record? It is. This one is uh, actually my favorite on the record. It's called The Funky One. All right, well, let's do it. I 
your bones Would you not really know What it had going on Took a step out of your home But you never thought twice It's easy to deny Everything that feels wrong Because it don't apply Everything laid out But you never heard a sound From what it was It came right up and switched it all around so much on your mind, so much harder to find If there's any meaning I know how we feel Try to make you feel like something I'm the one you do Too much for me to explain There's a hundred other things It's easy to deny Everything that feels right Cause you know it all applies You know I get confused What seem to come in twos But you is I and I am You just change the point of view Do you believe I share what you believe A single cohesive thought Is so hard to conceive So much on your mind You may never find Make it feel like something The other one can do Too much for me to explain There's a hundred other things you gotta do in your day I you need to know it's way exactly the same Cause you know I'm always looking for the right word There's a hundred other things you gotta do with your day All you need to know is we're exactly the same Cause you know I'm always looking for the right words Too much for me to explain There's a hundred other things you gotta do with your day All you need to know is we're exactly the same Cause you know I'm always looking for the right words There's still more fun and excitement in store in the second half of the Spud Goodman Radio Show right after this brief intermission. 
We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. Hey, uh, Spud, I just what? got a text from our executive producer, and she is not kidding around here with the directive to make more of an effort to attract those millennials to the show. I'm not going to beg a generation to like me in the show. They either do or they don't. I mean, no one likes to be begged to do something. I've tried that with a lot of women over the years, and it never works. Yeah, that's uh. pretty accurate. Women find desperation uh, especially attractive. Um, hey, maybe we should... They do or don't? They don't. Oh, oh. Yeah, sorry. That's too bad. That's, um, yeah, hey, disappointed. Maybe we should ask our interns as they are in that age group, you know. Oh, yeah. They could be a fountain of knowledge regarding what the Seriously. What, what they want and desire. You know, that's an invasion of their privacy, as that huh? should remain between them and their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram friends. Oh, my brother's 17-year-old daughter told me no one under 25 uses Facebook anymore. So, if you say so. Well, how about that, you know, that Snapchat thing? Because I, I, I've been hearing about that. Some kid at Safeway was mumbling about it yesterday. And what is that? It's just another social media app. Uh, you know, our sales manager, Walt, said, these millennials will very soon be the engine that will power our economy. And he showed us research that said most people over 35 are way too sensible with their purchases. And I can tell you, careful consideration is a commission killer for us in sales. I... <laughs> I know myself, as I have gotten older, I have a much better sense of what is a necessary purchase and what is something I can live without. Right. Actually, I have really cut back on attending the ICP shows really? as, you know, following them around the country just got really expensive. Gina, getting older doesn't mean giving up on fun. You can still go to an ICP show, but now just don't bring a gun. As a juggalo, you can't act like a nun. And just because you're a mommy, you can still drink Fago all day in the sun. You know, uh, Gina, I, nothing against those clown band that you like but you know you might not be the demographic we should be spending time analyzing um, yeah the insane clown posse has yeah. fans from all generations i mean my grandmother loves them really? she hasn't intended uh, attended a show in a few years you know she broke a hip at a senior dance but she's still a big hey, supporter why don't you uh, make yourself useful uh and you're supposed to be my co-host and right. you see if our <laughs> guest is holding on the line oh sure 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 just a second and uh oh yes uh, uh, Spud, I'm being told your next guest, Robert Hayes, is waiting to speak with you. Uh, you know, I know you've said you're a big fan of the movie Airplane, so this should be an enjoyable interview for you. Yes, I have seen Airplane a million times, like most everybody else on the planet. <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking with Robert. Now, you know, Airplane's a comedy, right? Isn't yes. It? It, it wasn't the one with Burt Lancaster, and he had a ton of stars dealing with some plane that might crash in a big snowstorm. Burt was No, captain. that was Airport, another one of those big studio oh. disaster flicks that were huge in the 70s. Dude, are you the real-life Kimmy Schmidt or what? No, 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 no. I, I remember Airplane now. Very funny movie. Now, I think, wasn't Samuel Jackson in that with a bunch of snakes? No, it, just put Robert on. Oh, here he is. 
All right, please welcome actor, producer, and director Robert Hayes to the show. Thanks for calling in tonight. Well, it's my pleasure. That's right. Well, let me get this in. You're going to be appearing at the Hollywood Show on October 31st, which will be held at the Westin L.A. Airport Hotel. I want to get that in. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, in the intro, I did not mention your fictional prior position as an airline pilot. And I know you're probably burned out and really tired of discussing your role in one of the biggest comedies in the history of film, Airplane. But I have to go there. I mean... Movie fans in the UK voted it the second best comedy of all time behind The Life of Brian. So, yeah. The second best? Yeah. Well, of course, I guess if they're, if they're English, they've got to have their... Although, i got to admit, that was one of the great ones I've ever seen. Yeah, it was. It was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, God. You have to finish second. That would be... Uh, no, no shame there. No, heck no. I'm kidding. That's great. Yeah, well... We had a 30th anniversary celebration over in London at the London Comedy Film Festival and uh, had a screening at the Prince Charles Theatre, had men and women dressed up like stewards and stewardesses and, and, uh, or flight attendants or whatever the politically correct thing is supposed to be, did you say? Yeah. And uh, it was great. It was really had a question and answer thing up on stage with Jerry and David Zucker and me and it was lots of fun well here's my first question about the movie is how often when you board planes to this day do the flight crews acknowledge you as Ted Stryker maybe give you an extra package of pretzels or something <laughs> well they don't a lot of times they they don't say anything at all and then during the flight they'll kind of come over and very quietly say by the way, you know, and then they'll say something. It used to be that they would, they would, uh, especially on Southwest Airlines, they would uh, uh, sometimes give me the whole bag of pretzels and I'd pass them out to the passengers and it was, we've had lots of fun with it. It used to be that you could be, you could go up into the cockpit, um, not with U.S. Airlines, but with all the international airlines and I've been up in the cockpits of so many planes flying really? when I was going all around the world, yeah. Wow. It was lots of fun. Lots of fun. Jeez. Well, uh, during the filming, did David and Jerry Zucker, along with uh, Jim Abrams, let the cast riff or improvise, or was it strictly on book with no deviations? It, it was so um, tight and so well written by them. The only people, I mean, uh, shoot, one, one night at the end of the day, actually of filming, Jim came up to me, Abrams came up to me and said, uh, we need some more for the scene tomorrow. We're going to be, I don't know, maybe it was the Japanese general or somebody, I can't remember which one it was, that I was boring to death and they, they said, we need more. And I thought, oh my God, I'm not a writer. And then I thought, wait a second. I'm supposed to bore people to death. That can be boring. So I went home and I just wrote a whole long speech. And and they filmed it all, but it was so long they couldn't use the whole thing. So they did use part of it. But uh, the, the, uh, uh, the two black dudes, Alan and Norm, uh, pretty much wrote their own uh, The Black Jive because uh, Jerry and Dave and Jim had come up with, uh, you know, she mofo, she mofo, she mofo. Pretty much that was it. Right. And they, they said, can we, we've got a little idea. Can we uh, uh, write, you know, a little bit of dialogue? And they said, please, we're three white Jewish guys from Milwaukee, please, you know. So they did that. And then uh, Johnny, 
they would call. He was a member of the troupe with the Kentucky Fried Theater. Right. And they'd call him up and they'd say, "What would you say here?" And he'd say, "Oh, I could make a hat. I could make a brooch. I could. You look like a Rolaid, or you know, things like that." So he he kind of did a lot of that. But otherwise, it was so tight. They'd been. Uh, uh, they'd submitted it to studios. They'd been rejected, so they'd come back and they'd work on it, and tighten it up a little more, rewrite this, rewrite that, and it was so tight. And we had seven weeks to shoot it, and we we did it. We got it done, and and uh, and it seemed to work. I think. Uh, yeah, you know, I I, I think that would be that'd be a safe uh, projection on that. Uh, <laughs> Spud. Uh, just a second, Robert. What now? Did you pick up on what Robert is saying here? What? He, he said the three writers of Airplane were all Jewish. Yeah? Well, your mother's Jewish, right? Yes. Well, maybe you have some writing talent, too, that you haven't tapped into yet. It, it could be in your genes, and you're not even aware of it. I would love for that to be true, but you'd think by this point in my life, I would know if I had any talent for writing stuff. Well, see if your mom ever had any writing skills. And say, can I ask how you're now a lapsed Catholic with a Jewish mother? It's a long story. Religion is a complicated thing, man. Yeah. My dad was once a Hare Krishna, and then a Rastafarian, and later a Baptist, I think. Interesting. Okay, well, all I'm saying here is, if you had some hidden talent for writing, maybe you could write some jokes. It couldn't hurt with the ratings. Well, being funny is really hard work. I don't have time for that. Let me get back to Robert. I want to ask him some more questions about Airplane. So just keep it down, please. Okay. Well, uh, Robert, why do you think it's been so difficult to recreate the formula of the original Airplane as it's obviously you know, influenced so many parody movie parodies over the years since its release, and many of which have failed pretty badly? It's kind of, uh, you know, it was, it, we captured lightning in a bottle. It all starts with the boys. We call them the boys, uh, Jerry and David and Jim. And their brilliant sense of comedy, their sense of timing, their sense of what would work, what wouldn't work. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, it's, they're just, to me, they're just amazing. And so that's where it all started. It, has, it had to be there. And then uh, they got the right people, the people they wanted, I think the first one that they had in mind was Bob Stack. They always had him in mind for Rex Kramer. Mm -hmm. And the studio didn't get it. You know, they didn't understand, well, wait a minute, this is a comedy. Where are the funny people? You know, and uh, so they wanted the pies in the face, and, you know, that's where they figured comedy was, I guess. But uh, they Thanks. stuck by their guns. They said, no, we want this. You, you're missing the point. And then finally, after they started showing the dailies, and, and they had to show dailies over several times because all the executives and everybody on the lot wanted to go in and see the dailies on this thing. And they finally figured it out. They went, ah, see what you're doing. Okay. Thank it's God. Funny. Jeez. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can imagine the notes that those three got from the studio. Yeah, but anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Robert, I know so, you, I know you've done a ton of highly respected films and TV shows over the years, also. But you co-starred in one of my current personal favorite parodies, Sharknado Two. Not as chilling as Sharknado One, but still pretty entertaining. <laughs> was that a blast to do? That that was so much fun. 
it really was great. And I asked my son, I said, they want me to do a, a cameo in Sharknado 2. He says, Dad, you got to do it. you got to do it. So Good call. That's why I did it. Excellent yeah. call. Um, well, he's a smart kid, so I always go to him for, you know, advice. That's your son, musician Jake Hayes, <laughs> yeah. is that correct? This is, J- this is Jake, yeah. That's correct, all right. Cherie Sh- 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 Curry, uh, formerly of The Runaways, the lead singer with The Runaways. And I had gotten married and... That's our finest production. You know, we had Cherie on our show. She's a wonderful, amazing woman. So Yeah. Well, uh, regarding the Sharknado, one last thing. How long did it take them to shoot that movie? Was it more like over one weekend? How long did it take? Do you know? <laughs> I think it was two weekends. Okay. Right. I don't know. I Actually, I don't know. I just, we did the that opening sequence and... Uh, all right, well, well, last question. What's been your most memorable moment in the film industry to this point? What do you think? you got so many, but can you pull one out? Jeez. Oh, but there are so many memories with Bob Stack and with Peter Graves and, and Lloyd Bridges and with Leslie. Wow. And yeah. Leslie using his little fart machine constantly, I mean, especially when it was on my close-ups, uh, which... Nobody knew about then, but it's become legendary, part of uh, part of uh, the Leslie lore now. I got to tell you, this has been pretty cool, the opportunity to speak with you, because Airplane remains one of my all-time favorite films. It's just, it's, it holds up today. It'll hold up for generations. So I just want to thank you so much for appearing on, iPro, on our program. Well, thank you. It's been fun. All right. Once again, you're going to be appearing at the Hollywood Show on Saturday, October 31st, which will be held at the Westin Los Angeles Airport Hotel. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, it's been, it's been, it's been a treat for me. Well, for me too. All right. Super. Mr. <laughs> Robert Hayes. I'm still not over my surprise. Once again, Nolan Garrett. Keep it up. 
Is our last guest on the line ready to go? I, I don't know. Let me, let me check. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm being told he is. Dana Gould is waiting to speak all with right, you now. All right, all right. It's good to have Dana back on the show. He's a very talented man. You, you know, Spud, after my prior goof-ups, I decided to Google Dana during Nolan's performance. Yes. Now, he was a writer and did voices on The Simpsons, right? Yes, that's accurate. Uh, you know, in our home, we made a decision that that show was going to be on the block list for our kids. Uh, my wife, Rachel, feels it promotes a a sense of lack of respect for authority in society. And she's commented that the lead character, Bart, might actually be somewhat responsible for our overcrowded prisons in this country. It's just a theory. Yeah, I have no response to that. Just put Dana on, please. Very well. All right, please welcome back to the show writer and comedian Dana Gould. How you doing, man? Hey, how are you? 
Not too bad, not too bad. Well, you know, Dana, as a former writer-producer on The Simpsons for seven seasons, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you this the last time you were on, but I didn't get around to it. As the show's in, like, syndication 24-7 around the world, uh, do they at least throw you something now and then for all your hard work? Oh, yeah, work? no, we get a little, yeah, I get a little something-something. Good, um, good. I'm in the, I'm, it's, a, it's, you know, it's in the Writers Guild, it's in the union, so they have to pay you uh, residuals. Good, because um, those deals are cutthroat, aren't they? In the industry for writers, a lot. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know people don't you know uh, people don't like to part with money. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know that's why I'm a you know that's why I'm a that's why I'm very pro union because if it wasn't for yep. union, I wouldn't be getting that money. Yep. Um, yep. Well, but I'm still working on the show. I actually just recorded a voice oh. for the show earlier this week uh, for a show next season. So Super. it's like the mafia; they never really let you go away. Does Rupert Murdoch's company own the biggest piece of the rights? Um, Matt Groening did okay, but did, who who owns the majority of that? I'm just curious. I'm going to assume Jim Brooks owns it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Jim, between Jim and Matt, I don't think the deal that they have with Fox is uh, basically we give them the show and they press play. Uh, uh, they don't really give us a lot of notes, and because they can't give us notes, which drives them crazy, they give us other notes like, you're drinking a lot of soda, you know. <laughs> so, uh. they, get, they attack us wherever they can. So that's why you're able to get in those Fox News uh, shots and some other stuff then, huh? Yeah, exactly. They don't really have uh, a creative input despite their... Uh, desires all right well will that show outlive us all though that's a question i wanted to ask because it's very depressing looking in the mirror each morning at like my face and seeing bart still as a prepubescent teen it just throws my equilibrium off is he i know as i uh, what i realize is as i get older i start to look more and more like my favorite pair of shoes yeah, yeah. um i matt Groening had the best take on that which was we're going to do the show until we run out of ideas and then we'll do it for three more seasons yeah all right that's for the record we got that well in 2010 you appeared on family guy so my question is are you the only former simpson staff member to cross over and work for seth mcfarland i believe well nothing not uh, certainly on camera there have been several people um, I think Rich Appel works on American Dad, and he was so. I think that there's a there's a lot of a bleed back and forth, but um, you know, I love Seth. Seth's a great guy. Right? Have there ever been any like competitive verbal shots exchanged over the years by the two production staffs? I mean, I think at first, I think when Family Guy first started out, um, there was a little bit of. Uh, competition back and forth and i think that people get their feathers ruffled and the simpsons was sort of unchallenged for a long time yep. um and, but I, again i think uh, like as in all things the competition makes the show better um i'm also a big bob's burgers fan yep so you know i you know the more the mer- the more the merrier for me all right well you know tonight we've been discussing the demographic monster known as the millennials and you're you're a highly decorated veteran in the comedy world so give us your take if one fails to appeal to said group is your career basically over maybe a slow death but a confirmed prognosis uh, I think that you always perform basically the brunt of your fandom seems to be the people who first saw you when they were coming up and they're you know like my my generation of people that are now in their 30s and 40s are the people that watched me when they were in their teens and early 20s coming up and I think that you uh, your audience sort of follows with you and grows with you and uh, I don't find that it, ageism applies in comedy. You know, when I was a child, 
Um, I was a big fan of George Carlin and Richard Pryor. Yes. Uh, and at the time, they were a good 40 years older than I was. But uh, I still thought they were funny. <laughs> I think ageism is one of those things. If it's funny, you laugh. And if it's not, you don't. All right. Well, there's a little bit I can't, of I can't understand these kids. I, look, I don't know these kids with their phones yes. and their crazy dating. Yes. All right. Well, I have a question, Spud, if I may. Hey, Dana, the pizza guy is here at the studio door, so could you give me, like, just 10 seconds? I'll be real brief. Yeah, great. Um, just not wait until I'm done with Dana. Well, it concerns him. I just thought of this. Don't you think he'd get a kick out of it if you asked him... Listen, uh, do you know Dana Gould? Have you ever spoken to him before? Well, no, I haven't, but what if you asked Dana if he enjoyed... Enjoyed what? Well, um... Oh, actually, I forgot what I was going to bring up. You know, the wife has suggested I start taking ginkgo biloba. Sorry about that. Yeah. Just get back to the interview. Not a bad idea. Thank you. Sorry. Hey, Dana, I paid the guy. I'm back. <laughs> um, so, Dana, you've been called the smart guy stand-up comic, which means uh, you've been tagged as being really intelligent. Is that something you would rather keep on the down low? I myself would love yes. it. I would love it. After you know, this beats being labeled as yes. un, un, you know a freaking moron. Like, that hurts me a little bit. But go ahead. Uh, it's just the nature of the business. Like, yeah. The smart guy's that laughs, and there's a guy who farts and balloons and pops the bubbles. He's at the Enormo Dome. Uh, you know, I will tell you a, the quote I always remember if you were a fan of or knew Bill Hicks. Um, uh, Bill Hicks and I were oddly walking around Disney World one day, and he turned to me and said, I can't sell out Caroline's on a Saturday night, and they're dredging Lake Erie to put in bleacher seats for Carrot Top. It's the nature of the business. Yes, it is. You know, I, I yep. thanks for that taste of reality. All right. Well, <laughs> my last question: uh, What what was your most memorable moment, or is I guess because you're still working on The Simpsons, but working on the show? Mm -hmm. What anything that jumps out at you? Uh, yes, uh, my uh, I the two, the two big moments that I remember was the first time a joke that I pitched got onto the show, which was a very small joke. It was in an episode called Homer the Drudge, and Homer was uh, started a Drudge Report-like gossip column about Springfield, ended up getting exiled to an island that was based on the island from the TV show The Prisoner. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things in The Prisoner was they, sent, they had giant balloons that were sent out as security, <laughs> and he was chased by balloons, and, the, and then Homer just popped the balloons, and then the guards watching on monitor said, why did we send balloons as security? And we spent two hours trying to come up with a joke, and finally I just said, shut up, that's why, and that's what they used. <laughs> and I remember watching that on television thinking, I thought of that. And, um, and writing, uh, when Elvis Costello got written into an episode, he came to record it, and I got to hang out with Elvis Costello in wow. a recording studio. Damn. That was pretty much the highlight for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I really exactly. want to thank you so much for calling in, man. Oh, it was my pleasure. Mr. Dana Gould. Thanks. I think the most impressive human being I ever met when I worked at The Simpsons, I got to meet Professor Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Now, now think about this. Here's a guy who cannot walk, who cannot speak, who cannot move independently, and yet somehow, he still found a way to cheat on his wife. <laughs> Think of the planning. 
and the commitment. That is the rumor. And you know why? Because he got caught. Lest you think you might get away with it. I'm sure you think you're very clever. The guy who figured out how time started didn't delete his inbox quickly enough. My, how time flies. About this millennial deal, I, I know most of my listeners at their age hardly you know, spend much money anymore except on pills for like dick issues, high blood pressure, and that cholesterol thingy, but at least Big Pharma must covet our audience. I, I know, but we still have to try our best to expand our audience too. So in the not too distant future, we'll still be relevant. Don't you want to remain relevant, Spud? I, I, I guess, but I've never really been relevant. That bar's set too damn high for me. How sad is it that broadcast careers are now based on how much stuff your audience buys? Yeah. Well, I do have to admit, though, most of the coolest stuff I bought in, in my early, you know, the stuff that I bought was in my early 20s into my mid-30s, like my huge Radio Shack Tower speakers, you know, for my stereo. I, oh, yeah. I still love them, though the women I date give me crap about them. Spud, most everyone else got rid of their Radio Shack tower speakers a few decades ago. Only true cultural dinosaurs have kept theirs, so... I suggest if you ever want a female in your life, put them on Craigslist and maybe make a little dough. You know, uh, how about we start incorporating some lingo on the show from that age group? You know, just a few popular words now and then to appeal to the youngsters. Well, like what words? Well, a dinner was over hours ago. You could do a lot of damage on the show here if you get this wrong. Well, I, I know, but my oldest is 16 and a half, Gina, so I have a pretty good grasp on what the kids are into these days. So really? I'm just suggesting more references to those uh, Jonas Brothers and vampires. Uh, Gerald, the Twilight books are so over. Well, Jeez. For the record, I was, I was on Team Edward. Uh, that's good to know. All right, well, look, I... I I'm just going to do this show like I always have, and if it's not good enough for all age groups, then I'm just going to go to the radio graveyard like a ton of others already have, okay? Huh. All right, that's for the record. All right, I'm Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. You've been listening to the Spud Goodman Radio Show. No more a waste of your time than other vacuous programs currently on the air. The show is written and directed by Spud Goodman, produced by David Brenneman of Rosedale Audio Productions. Original music by Michael Spots and Tom Harmon. Executive producer is Lori Madsen. Video director is TJ Pites. Our interns are Trent Botello and Anna Howell. Spud's Greek chorus is the folk singers in hell. Live music production and broadcast engineering by Mike Renville at the facilities of NWCZ Radio. Promotional services and support provided by Big Freak Media, Seattle's only rock and roll publicist. Opinions expressed on this show do not reflect those of the station, the sponsors, or any living person except Spud Goodman. Copyright 2015 Spud Goodman Productions. David Brenneman speaking. have a question, Spud, if I may. What if you asked Dana if he enjoyed... Enjoyed what? Well, um, well, uh, um, well, uh, well, um, 
Uh, no. Actually, I forgot what I was going to bring up. Sorry about that. Yeah. Now that was funny. a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Well, why didn't you say so? Never fear, Smith is here. Welcome to Manned Space Exploration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For an eclectic mix of music. Stay tuned for captivating talk. Stay tuned for insightful analysis of the Spud Goodman Show. Stay tuned for the Spud Goodman Post Show Report. Here is your host, Lawrence. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Lawrence, and I will be your host for tonight's uh, Spud Goodman post-show report. And of course, with me, we got back in the house my co-host, Gina. Gina, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Lawrence. I'm ready to go and excited about tonight's show. Derek, you can stop waving your arms around. I am sure Lawrence will introduce you when he is ready. When? Like five minutes into the program? I mean, you guys think about it. I'm a totally wasted resource sitting here waiting for my few seconds of airtime. Let me tell you something. You know, I think you're going to be wait, waiting just a little bit longer now, Derek. Here. What? Why? All right. Uh, uh, Gina, Gina, uh, listening to the first hours, listen there, and spudding that group, you know, I'm kind of hoping that uh, that we could start drumming up some of that uh, the millennial listeners. I think it'd be good. I'm, hey, I myself, I had no idea how important these young whippersnappers were, you know, to, Super. to uh, somebody's career in radio or TV or something like that. Because, you know, I hope they never figure this out because they're already kind of a little arrogant as hell, in my opinion, with the selfies and the social media. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And when I was locked up, some of the guys on my team, they had kids in this age group and they would be lucky to get an occasional three or four word direct message from them on Instagram and whatnot. But, man, don't you know cell phones are contraband in the joint? You know, they never get to read them until they get out. And they have to catch up after they borrow somebody else's phone. I know. Young people have a tendency to be somewhat self-absorbed, but I don't think... uh, Don't you think that all generations of young people have behaved like this? Hell no, no, no. It's just these guys here. Because when I was a kid... I had to raise my hand at the card table when we ate dinner before somebody over 35 would address me and ask me what I wanted. I had to earn the right to be recognized. Nowadays, most of these kids, they, they end up being a center of attention from the day that they were born. So, Super. you know, it's kind of tough keeping their egos in check. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, right? No, right. Hey, Derek, Derek, let me ask you this. How old are you? If you're asking if I'm a, a millennial, yes. yes, I am. And uh, I, I think that, it. you know, it's time that you start it's respecting me. Not you know, there's super. no hope for the Spud Goodman show to ever hit it big if you don't. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, 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 you just, uh, you see, 
the guy that you were just listening to, that's the highlight guy there. So you know, I, uh, potentially more. Derek, you may be statistically a millennial, but I wouldn't play that card too often. As in a few years, there will be another demographic segment that replaces you as far as being the flavor of the moment. Super. I seem to remember my parents, who are baby boomers, saying they actually were a big target for many years. Pretty much everything revolved around what they liked and disliked. But alas, all things must pass. So. Super. Enjoy the ride as it will be over before you know yeah, it. Yeah, it will. And you know, in fact, I'm still waiting for the ex offenders to be a coveted audience. You know what I'm saying? To be yeah. a demographic and all. Because there's tons of us out there. You know, you think that we would have a little bit of clout because we we buy laundry detergent, we buy breakfast cereal, just like everybody else. So all right, all right, I'm getting on tension. I better I better introduce our panel here tonight. We got uh, back in the house, we got Dave. Good to have you back with us. Good evening, Lawrence, and it is certainly a pleasure to be back. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back uh running south for us. We got of course our engineer Mike in the house here. Hey, how's it going, Lawrence? It's going all right. How about you, Mike? I'm doing great. Nice, nice. And of course we got our two ex community college interns, Anna and Trent. Say Anna. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, Anna and Trent. Spuds making me sit in the corner today. Oh man, you been a bad boy, like little Jack Horner Super. over there. All right, well you know what? Let's go. Let's go kick into some music here. I'm ready for some music. We're gonna start off with Liza Minnelli with Cabaret, and and then we have a classic from the '80s. This is Suicidal Tendencies and their great tune, Institutionalized. Enjoy. <laughs> What good is sitting alone in your room Or come hear the music play Life is a cabaret, old chum Come to the cabaret Put down the knitting, the book and the broom It's time for a holiday Life is a So come to the cabaret Come taste the wine Come hear the band Come blow that horn Start celebrating Right this way your table's waiting What good's permitting Some prophet of doom To wipe every smile away Life is a cabaret Oh chum So come to the cabaret This girlfriend known as Elsie With whom I shared four sordid rooms in Chelsea She wasn't what you'd call a blushing flower As a matter of fact, she rented by the hour The day she died, the neighbors came to snicker Well, that's what comes from too much pills and liquor But when I saw her laid out like a queen She was the happiest corpse I'd ever seen I think of Elsie to this very day I remember how she turned to me And said What good is sitting all alone in your room 
I went to your church. 
is the Spud Goodman Post Show Report. All right, all right. We got in the studio with us here tonight. We still got with us here in the studio, the Nolan Garrett Band. How you guys doing tonight? Doing well. Awesome. All right, awesome. Well, we like that. We like that. So uh, now, now, Nolan, could you reintroduce the other two guys in the band for us? Cause... Yeah, we got Riley Howe on bass and uh, Alex Nelson on drums. Nice. All right, all right. Now, you guys... No, I'm understanding maybe that you're minors or something. You, you know, I usually hit up everybody with this, the regular question, but, you know, I'm not going to ask you if you did any time, any hard time, but maybe you did a little bit of juvie time here or there, maybe a weekend or two or something like that, you know? Well, community service. What about detention? <laughs> oh, I will count. Plenty of that. You can count super, it. super. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, I tried to uh, be Jimi Hendrix one time and set my guitar on fire. I just was in the wrong place. It was at a Walgreens. <laughs> oh, at a Wal. Yeah, they don't like that much, do they? Nice. I like it. It's not super. Yeah, it's good. All right, Nolan, from listening to you guys perform, it's clear that you've been influenced by musicians from previous generations. Can you toss out a few artists that you uh, feel had an impact on your sound? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jimi Hendrix, he's like kind of like my idol. Um, not only for his music, but like for his performance. And, um, and then Paul McCartney and like the Beatles. Big influences in Led Zeppelin, like all those guys. I'm I'm a big fan of. Nice. Yeah, those are excellent influences. You're gonna have yeah. some. Those guys are big time. Nice. Classic. So so let me ask you a question about life as a no- young musician and all. Now the girls your age are they still into rock stars? Because they've been into rock stars for generations and stuff like that. Now are they still into rock stars or are they into those skateboarders and all those gamers and whatnot? No, you think wrong. I, I thought that you know, like playing rock music, I get a lot more ladies. Um, but I, sh- I should have been like a rapper or something. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's at. I, I picked the wrong thing to be good at. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, can I can I jump here in here and ask a question now? Hey, hey uh, so what's the name of the last song you're gonna play? Come on. This is actually. This is actually. <laughs> you got a backstory to it, too. I would hear. Um, no, no. This is actually like the first song I ever learned. It's not one of my songs. Um. It's a cover, and uh, it's one of the first songs I've ever learned. Actually, the first song I ever learned. All right, that sounds good. The Nolan Garrett Band.
folks seating in fancy dining cars. The probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. Well, I, I hate coming. No, I can't be free. But those people keep on moving, and that's what touches me. Derek, you, you, it sounded like you were going to ask a question or something like that. Well, yeah, I was. You know, I brought in my nice typed-up list of questions that I had, and I was had a really good one picked out and everything. Well, did you maybe you need, uh, just say those questions, and then you could just practice them when you get home. Just practice them. Uh, I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah, see? see okay. I'm looking out for him. You see that? You see that? Well, very diplomatic. I thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, is it time for me to do my thing? Oh, yeah. Wait. All right. You actually do Super. something on the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. I keep this thing moving. So our first celebrity highlight of the night comes from the Ian Anderson interview. And uh, in this clip, he kind of gives some reassurance to some people out there. And, you know, sometimes things staying the same is a good thing. Yeah, evidently. Well, you know, I don't want to get all Freudian here, but just thinking about this, your rejection of uh, of the, you know, the cliche, uh, really, you know, the Ferrari or whatever, uh, it just, I guess, does that mean that uh, you're like well-adjusted and maybe just possibly well-endowed also because you don't need uh, any sort of external symbols to, to kind of compensate? You know what I'm saying? 
I think I know what you're saying, and I have to report to you, I am Mr. Average. I know this because I got out a, a ruler just a couple of weeks ago because of some article in the paper about the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the male attributes in terms of, of size and dimension generally. And I, I remember when I was a teenager, I remember sort of being fascinated enough to measure myself and thinking, oh, I'm not sure is that good or is that bad or am I, you know, but uh, amazingly, the, it is exactly the same measurement as I sport today. And, and there are some bits of you that get bigger. You know, as we all know, as you get older, your ears tend to get bigger, your feet get bigger, the, the hairs that are coming out of your nostrils and your ears get longer. I know. And so, um, but other things kind of shrivel away. And I'm happy to report that I do not walk around with inside my codpiece and tights wearing a little acorn. It's just the same old chap that used to be there, um, you know, from teenage years onwards. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm relieved that some things in life just stay the same. Well, I'm bummed, but you could be right. Uh, for the record, everyone knows I'm still in search of a of a Corvette, and I, hopefully that will, you know, maybe fill my, you know, you know. I mean, I'm I'll be honest. I I have some deficiencies, and and uh, I can't afford a Corvette right now, but that's my goal someday. So anyway, all right, let's let's wrap this. Derek, you want to admit anything? Nope. On the air in front of millions of people. <laughs> Nothing. No. That was a a really lovely insight to the male uh, business. Yeah, well, you know, there's something that you probably could have guessed anyway. You know, but the thing is, is I worry about other things getting big. He's talking about, I worry about my ears and my nose and my belly. Because yeah. my belly, yeah. you know how much bigger my belly got since I got out of the joint? Mm-mm. And I measured it and it was like, a, I don't know, where was it was a 33. And now it's like a 43. I think that's Because I, I fell in love with Pop-Tarts. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry, but, I, but I'm not going to apologize. I'm sorry, but okay. I'm not going to apologize right, super. for that. But that's just the way it goes. All right, let's do a little bit more music here now. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get back into a song here. Uh, let's see, we got um, York Tom York's side project, Adams for Peace. And uh, their tune is Before Your Very Eyes. And after that, we have Rockabilly great Glenn Honeycutt with Hula Hula. Hey, Dave, why don't you hit play for us?
Stay tuned for more of the Spud Goodman Post Show Report. Welcome back to the Spud Goodman Post Show Report. All right, Dick, what you got? So our next clip comes from the Robert Hayes interview, where he talks about how one of the most iconic scenes in the movie Airplane came to be. Uh, the two black dudes, Alan and Norm, uh, pretty much wrote their own uh, The Black Jive. Because uh, Jerry and Dave and Jim had come up with, uh, you know, she mofo, she mofo, she mofo. Pretty much that was it. Right. And they they said, can we? We've got a little idea. Can we uh, uh, write, you know, a little bit of dialogue? And they said, please. We're three white Jewish guys from Milwaukee. Please, you know. So they did that. And then uh, Johnny. Uh, uh, they would call. He was a member of the troupe with the Kentucky Fried Theater. Right. And they'd call him up and they'd say, "What would you say here?" And he'd say, "Oh, I could make a hat. I could make a brooch. I could. You look like a Rolaid, or you know, things like that." So he he kind of did a lot of that. But otherwise, it was so tight. They'd been. Now let me tell you something. When I was in high school, we tried to get job as a second language credit mm. in high school, but it just it didn't take. Yeah. Okay. All right. Not Super. people signed up for it, or uh, well, could, you, could you have done like an after school club? We could have done an after school club, but you know we were hanging out and whatnot, so we didn't have any interest in it. Yeah. You know, but you know we were talking jive and smack and the dozens after school on the corner. So you know, I don't know. I wish we could have got to extra credit, and I would have been pretty good. I would have caught her. Sure, you would have yeah. got a gold star, man. I think I would have. Yeah. But you know, those are the days. All right, let's do a bit, a few more, a uh, little bit more music here. We're gonna start off with Biz Marquis and his hit "Just a Friend," and then we have a youngsters from the UK, Jake Berg, with Two Fingers. Oh, 
story of my situation I was talking to this girl from the US nation The way that I met her was on tour at a concert She had long hair and a short miniskirt I just got on stage dripping pouring with sweat I was walking through the crowd and guess who I met I whispered in the air, come to the picture booth so I can ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof. I asked her her name, she said blah, blah, blah. She had nine, ten pants and a very big bra. I took a couple of flicks and she was enthused. I said, how do you like the show? She said I was very amused. I started throwing bass, she started throwing back mid-range. But when I sprung the question, she acted kind of strange. Because when I asked, do you have a man, she tried to pretend. She said, no, I don't. I only have a friend. I'm not even going for it. This is what I'm going to say. You, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend. And you say he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you got what I need. Work for it at this time. I thought just having a friend couldn't be no crime. Cause I have friends, and that's a fact. Like Agnes, Agatha, Jermaine, and Jack. Forget about that, let's go into the story. About our girl named blah 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 that adore me. So we started talking, getting familiar, spending a lot of time so we can build a relationship or some understanding how it's gonna be in the future we was planning. Everything sounded so dandy and sweet. I had no idea I was in for a treat. After this was established, everything was cool. The tour was over and she went back to school. I called every day to see how she was doing. Every time that I called her, it seemed something was brewing. I called the room, a guy picked up and then I called her again. I said, yo, who is that? Oh, he's just a friend. I smoke to forget 
Some things to be proud of, some stuff to regret. Gone down some dark alleys in my own head. Something's changing, changing, changing. I go back to Clifton to see my old friends. The best people I could ever have met. Skin up a fat one, hide from the feds. And something's changing, changing, changing. So I kiss goodbye to every little You've been rocking these highlights tonight. I always do, and you know, I'm just gonna keep rocking them and just the highlights. Hope, but, but hope that I get my, yeah, my chance to rock some more stuff. That's your home. Yeah, but just imagine if I could take all this home. all this power and energy into another aspect of the show and just make it that much better. No, I can't imagine. Do that. the highlights? Can. Be the highlights. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. For now, right, since super. this is all anybody will let me do. I'm going to go ahead and do this last one right now, which we have from the Dana Gould interview. And in this interview clip, he talks about the first joke that he wrote for The Simpsons that ever made it to air. Oh. <laughs> My last question. Uh, what, what was your most memorable moment, or is, I guess, because you're still working on The Simpsons, but working on the show? Mm-hmm. What, anything that jumps out at you? Uh, yes. Uh, my, uh, I, the, t- the two big 
moments that I remember was the first time a joke that I pitched got onto the show, which was a very small joke. It was in an episode called Homer the Drudge. And Homer was uh, started a Drudge Report-like gossip column about Springfield, ended up getting exiled to an island that was based on the island from the TV show The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things in The Prisoner was they sent they had giant balloons that were sent out as security. And he was chased by balloons, and the and then Homer just popped the balloons, and then the guards watching on monitors said, why did we send balloons as security? And we spent two hours trying to come up with a joke, and finally I just said, shut up, that's why. And that's what they used. <laughs> and I remember watching that on television thinking, I thought of that. And, um, and writing, uh, when Elvis Costello got written into an episode, he came to record it, and I got to hang out with Elvis Costello wow. in a recording studio. Damn. That was pretty much the highlight for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. It must be... Huh. You still doing Simpsons, right? Mm-hmm. Y'all still watching Simpsons? You watching? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of missed out on them the last few years. Really? So yeah. not so much for you, but for you, for sure, right? Oh, yeah. I keep up. They still got the spot that they had. Oh yeah, they're still yellow too, right? Mm-hmm. They're still yep. yellow. They still yellow got, as ever. Still got overbites. Yep. Wow. So, so that's really all that you need to be, you know, to really have a good Simpsons episode. Mm-hmm. An overbite, yellow, and uh, and just Homer. Yeah, that's the recipe. <laughs> Maybe I could cook me up something with just a TV show with. Yellow people Maybe. with overbite. I could try drawing you as a Simpsons character and see if we can like send it off oh, to him yeah, and you... see if you can make it in there. there you go. I would what like if we could all be much. Simpsons characters? That, that would be, be fantastic. Make the Spud Goodman Simpsons character. We should yeah. do a. Well, we should try to get the whole Spud, you know, cast as Simpsons characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe get Spud on the Simpsons. I yeah. like that there idea. We go. I would watch that episode over and over again. All right, somebody yeah. out there Who's... in Radio Land. Make it happen. And make it happen. Yeah, or, or somebody's going to lobby for it. Dave, you're yeah. going to take it that I think out. Trent might still have Dana Gold's number on the caller ID. So well, uh, Maybe, yeah. We could call, call, call him, him back. Yeah, yeah, we can call him up. All right. While we're trying to get him on the phone, I think we're going to do a little bit of music here. We're yep. going to lead off this block here with the late great band from Northern Ireland, Them. Led, of course, by Van Morrison. The song here, the song is Here Comes the Night. Then after that, we have a Spud Goodman show favorite. It's Warning Danger who have performed this song live on the show, but this is the studio recording of the song, I Hate Paying Bills. But first up is Them. Except the fact she's chosen him 
and simply let them be. have a call holding i guess oh. it's our executive producer Lori. that Madsen. is not super oh not super yeah oh. yeah so is anybody going to take the call uh, I mean, uh yeah i suppose we should Lori. so uh, what brings you to call in tonight 
I'm sitting here in my living room at home with a nice glass of wine, trying to enjoy listening to the post-show report, but for the life of me, I'm having a difficult time staying awake, so I can only imagine what it's like for our regular listeners. So I do apologize to whoever is still with us. Well, maybe alcohol doesn't agree with you, huh? It's my first glass, and oh, no, what I'm picking up is a real lack of passion on tonight's show. There's no fire, and no conflict to keep people interested. I-, I thought tonight's show was going pretty well. Honey, as a broadcast executive, for many years, I suggest you take my word on this one. I know the recipe for successful radio, and what I'm hearing right now is not it. Here's a little pop quiz. Why do you suppose talk radio dominates the airwaves currently? I'll answer that. It's all about conflict. I mean, would it kill you guys to show a little emotion on the air? No, Derek, I'm not referring to your whining. Hey, what whining? You know, I do express my sincere disappointment in how I'm being underutilized on the show from time to time, but I wouldn't characterize that as whining. Oh, Derek, I would totally describe that as whining. Yeah, me too. That is Nobody asked you. It's not about Derek. I know for a fact that most of you in the studio are what? I think the term you prefer is progressive, and that is really the root cause of this. I need to be honest to the listeners who are tuned in, and I mean, why try and cover it up? From Spud Goodman down to the interns, probably this is a home for bleeding heart liberals. Hello? There's a reason liberals on the radio just don't. Get ratings. Hey, don't let me in with everyone else. I'm not a liberal. I don't support anything, okay? Super. Um, hmm. You know, maybe that's something we can discuss further down the road, Derek. Maybe your own short opinion segment. I'll have to think about that further. But in the meantime, can everyone in the studio try to kick it up a notch or two? My God, it's so pleasant I'm going to puke. This is ratings death, guys. Okay, I'm done here. Finish up the program. We can talk further about this at our next staff meeting. All right. Goodbye. All right. yeah. Super. Okay, goodbye. Ms. Wait, so are, you, so are you guys picking up on that? Did, does that mean I'm invited to the staff meeting? Um, yeah, I wouldn't get your hopes up on that one, Derek. Even if you could get your own segment, you you must know the woman can't stand you, right? Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, you got to know that. <laughs> she just says those things because it's it's a thing. Like, it goes way back before you guys were even on the show. Yeah. Well, Super. I don't think it's a thing. Yeah. And, and no, it's that, totally a thing. I think we we I think we need to go some to more some more music. Let's get this thing kind of mellowed out. Let's uh begin with El- Elvis Costello and an alternative studio outtake of his song "Packing Up," and then we have another band from the UK, Splodgeness About. With uh, let me try that again. Splongeness abounds with two pints of lager and a packet. Let's hear that. Yeah. 
listening to the Spud Goodman Post Show Report. All right, y'all. We got to wrap this one up here. And all I can say is, you know, I sure hope we get at least a few of those millennials to tune in and maybe come back, check out the show again next week. Well, I be bet nice. at least three or four of them like tonight's show. I mean, not counting Derek. No. You know, actually, I haven't totally made up my mind about tonight's show. I mean, there were moments that I really enjoyed. But as a millennial, there seemed to be something lacking, like maybe someone who can speak directly to our hugely important demographic. And don't tell us, you are just the millennial to do this, right? Super, well, super. Not necessarily. I mean, there might be other options available. Possibly one of our interns over here could step up. Actually, you know what? No, that's not happening. So yeah, I guess I am the one that will have to fill this critical role. Yeah, you know, I can only speak for myself here, but... I'm going to say this. Okay, okay. Screw those damn millennials. I'm not hey. going to beg them to listen to the show. No, maybe Spud is going to get out on his knees to save his career. I don't know. But you know what? I'm, I'm not going to beg anybody. Period. No. I hear you, Lawrence. If all those millennials are all like Derek here, I agree with you. Screw them. Yes. Now, wait just a second. I mean, don't do anything rash. You know, I'm not doing anything rash. I'm going to thank our panels what I'm going to do. Dave, on the soundboard, thank you very much. Great job. It's great to be back. Well, we appreciate you and we appreciate Mike, our engineer. Thank you, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. And of course, our two ex-community college interns, yep. Anna and Trent. My millennials right there. Um, don't judge us all as being like Derek. We are good hey. people, really. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Super. you too. Yeah, Most you of us are aren't good. jerks, usually. Yeah. Uh, all right. You know, um, you guys are right. I apologize for labeling you with a whole generation. Anyway, we got to close out our show. So uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, go say good night. Oh, good night. Good night, everyone. Derek, out. The Spud Goodman Post Show Report is written and directed by Spud Goodman. Produced by David Brenneman of Rosedale Audio Productions. Executive producer, Lori Madsen. Associate producer, David Deer. Live music production and broadcast engineering by Mike Renville at the facilities of NWCZ Radio. Audio highlights, Derek Schneider. Our interns are Anna Howell and Trent Botello. Theme music composed and performed by Brian J. Martin. Promotional services and support provided by Big Freak Media, Seattle's only rock and roll public. Copyright 2015's Bud Goodman Productions, David Brenneman speaking. Keeper. Keeper.